demonstration. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the beginning of class five of using databases in education. And hello out there in TV land, or radio land. Today what we're going to be doing is um, we're going to begin, and I want to go over the uh, database uh, assignment. We've gone over it a couple times. There's a couple modifications plus a, uh, a rubric that I have provided for you. And then what we will do is we will have Mr. Crum and Mr. Yaomi do their presentations uh, or lead their discussions on the articles that they've been coordinating online. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide you some time to work on your database. And remember, the first thing that you do is not create the database. The first thing that you do is really spend time organizing ahead of time, figuring out the questions and things like that. Um, what I'd like to do is, let me begin here. I am going to move over into the assignment page. You can go there if you wish, but I will make sure that it's large enough. There's just a couple modifications that I want to point out. Make sure that you know about them. Um, if you've already, if you've been so industrious that you've already printed this out. Thank you, sir. If you've been so industrious that you've already printed this out, you may want to reprint it to make sure you get all the goodies. This is all the same except for a couple embellishments that I put in under queries and reports. As I was putting together the, the rubric, I wanted to make sure that you would have as much explanation here of what the expectations were. And actually, I ended up expanding them just a little bit, just a skosh. Now, if anybody can tell me how big a skosh is, they get two extra points for the day. Skosh? A skosh. Smaller than a fathom. Well, <laughs> yes, it is. A fathom is six, six feet. Um, okay, it says you need to include at least one query that will provide the information necessary to answer one of the questions you asked earlier. Now, that's the same as it was before. The query needs to work and be able to retrieve de desired information. And you need to include an explanation. This is part of the, the, the printed out part that you're going to be submitting. Include an explanation that will describe the desired information, identify the fields that need to be used, and explain the criteria used to create the query. Is that clear to everyone as to what that means? Yep. Okay. And then down here at the bottom, we talk about the reports. And I've actually identified five separate sections to the report uh, or things that I will be looking for. It says your database needs to include at least one report that can be used to answer the questions that you have listed above. That's the same. Your reports will be evaluated on design and explanation. The design should include proper title alignment subtotals, totals, and should be sorted by at least one field. Now, the, the subtotals and totals are things that I didn't have in before, but since you've learned how to do that in the report information, I'd like to see you include those. And then I also want to make sure that when you do the report that there's a, a sorting done. And there's a reason for that sorting. Now, you're going to include an explanation of why. And that it says include an explanation that includes Include an explanation that includes an explanation of what, we're, we're still refining some of this, uh, <laughs> of what questions the report or ports is or are designed to answer. Um, so in other words, an explanation of what, what are the questions you're going to use, how the separation for the subtotals was used or identified, in other words, why did you use those subtotals, um, what the totals signify, uh, why the report or reports is or are, that's really awkward, sorted by the, what I'm trying to get a point, a point across is that you can indeed use more than one report if that's what you need for the work you're doing. It's at least one report. So why, why are they sorted the way they did using those, those fields and what answers did you find 
Okay? So there's five sections to that. You'll notice that on the, on the rubric, I've handed you a copy of the three-page rubric that goes with it. And yep, you've, some of you have already put it into your, into your notebook so quickly. On the rubric, you'll notice that uh, the way I've identified it is I have the definitions under 5, 3, and 1 there for the problem defined. Um, and basically, the re write, written response is I have those three sections, and I've specifically identified what I want to see in those. On the, <clears throat> on the next page, most, most of this is self-explanatory. Um, if you use 10 fields, you get 5 points. 9 fields, you get 3. 8 fields, you get 1. Or, uh, yeah, 1 point. And you'll notice how those are laid out. Pretty self-explanatory. The query that talks about it. And you'll notice that like under explanation for query, there's three parts that I want to see. And if you only have include two of those parts, then you get a three. One of those parts, you get a one. Um, down here under uh, the form, I've broken that down. You either get a two or a one based upon what you're putting in there. And then under the uh, reports, I've designed it so that under explanation, remember there were five parts. And if you include all five parts and do a good job of that, then you can get a five. But um, based upon how well they're done is how that's going to go. Any questions on the, on the rubric? Please remember that when we look at a rubric, I'm showing you exactly what I'm going to be using to, to evaluate you. Therefore, it's important for you to sit down and evaluate yourself ahead of time. Because if you don't do that, then that means that you're going to um, not get, perhaps get all the points that you're hoping to, to receive. No, I'm not. Okay. That, that was the, well, I mean, what I'm saying, I mean, if you, if you think that what you wrote was perfect, then I'm hoping that you don't because after we did all the explanation, I'm hoping that you said, oh my gosh, there's all these things I want to improve upon this. So if you, if you think that uh, what, what you'd want to do is include the, uh, an update. And like I said, the reason that I brought that in was merely because I wanted you to have a discussion piece last week so we could talk about that. Any other questions? Yes, Yami. Is this assignment consist of, uh, consisting of two parts, uh, like paper and second Yeah, if you, if you read, if you, do you have the printout of the assignment in there? Okay, go to the printout of the assignment, and you'll notice that at the end of that assignment, it identifies, the question was, is it two parts? That's not quite it. I'll tell you what, I'll show you up here on, on, on here. Um, you'll notice that when you submit this, that down here it says submit. Pretty, pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, written responses to the planning questions above and reports. And actually, those planning questions are all the things that, that we've talked about there, okay? So what you need to do is you need to make sure you answer all the questions that are in here. If you have any questions about what questions need to be answered, you need to talk to me soon. Okay, I don't want, I, this, this will not be an acceptable answer when, if, if something gets turned in, you say, oh, I didn't know you wanted that. I've, I, I've gone over the assignment, I've identified what the rubric is, and if you don't include it, you won't get points. Is that understood? Okay. And so what you'll be doing is you'll be submitting these, and then you'll be submitting the electronic database through a Dropbox. And I've put in drop boxes, but I'm not sure that they're working. But can, can you? Because see, mine doesn't show up like that, but that's because I'm a designer. Um, if you click on that drop box, one. It's on view, it should be. 
I know I should, but it's not working. And so what I'm saying is I think I may have made a mistake as far as, as putting the Dropbox together. <coughs> well, if you can do that, great. Or just take something off, off your, or your computer or something like that. But um, we'll make sure that that's updated. I am not going to be saying that this is due at 11.55 on Tuesday evening or something like that. Um, I'm assume I will have the Dropbox fixed within the next 24 hours, or I'll have it fixed by next week. And so if you can get it up by then, that's great. If you come in and you say, geez, I couldn't get it into the Dropbox, or I didn't quite understand how to do that, and you want to submit it at the beginning of class, that's okay too. I would suggest showing up at least five minutes ahead of time so we can get that done and we can get started on class on time. Okay? Any questions about that? No? Good. Okay. Um, so the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to have, which of you would like to begin? Okay. Mr. Crumb, would you like to begin? Okay. And you're going to be doing the first article? And I'll tell you what we're going to do is I'm going to pause this while we're getting things set up. Start speaking. Um, well, I'm Mohammad Yaoumi. Uh, the second article is about when perception bumped, bumped into data. Uh, this article talk about uh, when perception bump into data this is emphasize the discussion in four parts the first is adding survey data to the mix the second one is coping with the disconnect the third we need more data and the fourth from analysis to action. On the part of adding survey data to the mix, the author modified question for the teachers and students and the result of the question were learned and analyzed facilitated by collaborative staff to get information accurately or invalidly. When they had different response from the same questions, they needed more data to solve the disconnect information before creating their action plan. The plan was supposed to specify the trend or person and identify the specific steps that they would follow. At the end of the activity, they saw their findings and answer the question, their question whether or not they have different opinion or analyzing data. Before we continue about talking about this article, I would like to go back to our previous articles about the importance of data. One of the importance of data is to improve students' achievement. In the first article, we talk about uh, data mining with emission. So we remember about the uh, longitudinal approach 
Yeah, like uh, this approach emphasizes in monitoring trends, track the effectiveness of intervention and determine what happened in the future. And the second point of the article is multidimensional perspectives. So like uh, the emphasis in the school demography and the information, clean and accurate data and information about the culture. The second article about data maximizing, maximizing your mining part, um, mining and part one and part two. Um, in this article, yeah, probably at the time Kali and Robert, I think, talk about three stages of maturity. They emphasize in analysis for its own sakes, improve efficiency, and focus on individual. Right now, we are going to talk about the nature of this article. When perception bumped into data. Uh, teams or third international mathematics and science survey um, found the data about the students in, the, in this country. They found that uh, students in this country were outperformed by the students outside of this country or it means that in another country. So, this finding make uh, some people from school, like teachers, administrators, and uh, principals, thinks about the nature of the findings. So, they ask some question about that and they would like to make a meeting about that to discuss about what happened so that the findings um, obtained by the teams yeah so like the findings of international surface especially in central Ohio made a meeting to attain world-class standards in science and maths education. And they make a special project about using data to reveal shortcomings, misconception, and unmet needs. Uh, the first one about this article is about adding survey data to the mix. So, in, 19, uh, in 2001, June 2001, teams held a meeting. The first institute was held a meeting. So, there were about 60 classroom teachers and admi administra administrators at the time from the 8th Central Ohio School District make a meeting. The reason of the meeting is they found the previous data about the students' uh, scores in mathematics and science. And the second point is students' perception of 
instructional practice and teacher's report of the instructional practice and curriculum survey. And the second one, they held the meeting about on June 2002. Um, they as, uh, the same, they did the same things with the first uh, meeting and the the reason of this meeting, they would like to gather achievement of data and have teachers and students to complete opinion surveys. They ask many questions from this meeting and they uh, start from the teacher. As the sample survey questions said that how often do the students take notes work in small groups, use computer, and do the students make estimates or and analyze data, or do the students use calculators or other technology? The question were given to the students is, do you work in pairs or small groups? Do you draw pictures, charts, or graphs in lab activities, or do you make uh, guesses or prediction or hypothesis. So from these survey questions, they found different answer from the, the, the same question. So different data from the same questions. We can see from the teachers and students responses. Students said students did not use computer in math classes, while teacher says computer were used frequently. So they found different data from the students response and the teachers reported. The same question but different data. So, the question is, why could be different, both of the response from the teacher and the, the students? So, any opinion from participant, I think? So, it is natural in one survey or why could be, uh, why could be, why could happen? In, the, in, in this kind of environment. What do you think ab about that, Robert? Well, it talks a little bit about middle school. Uh, uh, it talked about middle school, and for some reason, middle school's kids, they, they have very short memories. <laughs> they seem like they could talk, oh, what was your favorite thing about last week? I don't know. And so I think that they forget very, free, uh, very easily what they've done in the past. They might not forget, hopefully they don't forget the content you've taught them, but they do forget the actual experience, unless you make it extremely meaningful in some way. Uh, that's the biggest challenge for me as a middle school teacher, is it seems like I have to make everything just an unbelievable, entertaining experience to keep their attention about it and to make it memorable. So, Do you find the same uh, happen in your experience? Yeah. Um, a lot of students 
they do. And even, I mean, in a lot of my classes we talk about how students, you know, only retain and only pay attention for about one minute for how, how old they are. And so if you're, you know, in working with younger kids, they only, you know, pay attention for about the first ten minutes, you know, and everything else after that they don't really listen to and they kind of zone out. So it's, you kind of have to keep that going and make, like what Rob said, is just kind of keep things, you know, interesting for the kids and change it up a lot. What about Dr. Zeiss? During your experience in teaching or in collecting data, do you found a different um, response from the same questions? I really haven't had that experience, but I mean, because I've, I've never done that kind of, of, of uh, research. But I would think that part of it has to do with how much they, they envision, compute, say, computers as being part of their world. See, when a professor or a teacher sits down and works very specifically and they want to be able to say, yes, indeed, I did use technology and they, they do the planning and all that sort of thing, then that's a very important part of their life. And so they'll remember that. If a student who goes home and plays on his or her computer every night, and I mean, it, it's kind of like asking a fish about water. You know, it's just what, what I'm, I, I do it all the time anyway. and the, and and working on a computer in class doesn't stick out in their mind, perhaps. So I think that could be one of the reasons that we have um, data bumping into perceived reality is because they just, they didn't pick that up because it was just part of their life anyway. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, I would, yeah I'd like to sort of second what Dr. Zeit just talked about. And I was thinking it's a lot about perceptions is who is from the student's perspective, I mean, some of those questions, do you work in pairs or groups? You know, it could be something that is such a, a regular type of activity for them, or it might be something that, frankly, they just don't even notice. That I find that if we were to do an item analysis of that type of a survey, we'd probably find some problems with it. So. Okay. The other experience there are about uh, 86 percent students said they really like math and felt confident. But uh, proficiency test score indicated children's self-confidence was well-found. So was not well-founded. So it means that uh, the difference happened again. So as our discussion online at the time. The question that I gave, is it meant by Kathy um, as data bumped into perceived reality? Or is there any other conditions that she means about uh, data bumped into perceived reality? What do you think? Well, going to 86% of the students who think they're really proficient in math and that test shows that it's not true, um, I think that it also can be tied back to the, the teacher setting the standard in the class. Sometimes I think that <laughs> we set standards pretty low and then we, because we're, we're assured that, that we want to meet our standard, you know, if we set it low, even whether we do it consciously or unconsciously, we, we know we're going to be able to meet that. And so uh, I could easily see students say that, hey, I'm really good at science because I do really well in Mr. G's class, but on the other hand, not really be very well and very good at it. So 
that's just my kind of take on that. Uh, and then also, when uh, we, we talk to mi about middle schoolers, I think a lot of times they also get confused um, whether the class is entertaining and whether they're good at it. And they get the, I like the teacher, so I'm good at math, instead of um, not knowing, you know, actually knowing the content. I, I think that I have two language arts teachers right now, and one is very structured, very concrete, everything's going to be done this way. The other teacher is an elementary ed teacher who's teaching middle school, and she's very free, open, and the kids think they, they really do well in her class um, because they like it. So. Um, I have had the same experience when I was in my country about the interest of the students in learning uh, second language learning. So when the teacher is a girl and she is very beautiful, there are many students come in the classroom and they are very interested in learning um, the subject matter. But when the teacher is very old <laughs> and probably um, yeah, use uh, probably is not very beautiful cloth, I think, so it can make uh, the students boring. So not only the knowledge of the teacher can influence the, the teacher, but the performance of the teacher can affect the student's interest. Okay. Um, some people say that we need more data to get the solution about uh, the disconnect information from the same questions. Some comments say that we need more of this type of data about our school. And other teachers say that teachers and students should involve in the surveys to know more about the data. Some people say also participants, it means that teacher participants who um, attended the conference or the meeting at the time, teachers, uh, administrators, and some organizations attended the meetings, said that we need to write their own, uh, our own surveys in relation to our schools. And people also say that they need to make students aware of different teaching processes. So how we make the students aware or understand about different teacher, different style, different methodology or different knowledge. The students should understand about that. And to engage students in collecting data, it's possible to sur survey students by homeroom. And also, some people say that involve students in putting survey results. But um, some participants who attended the meeting at the time said also that we can force uh, adults or teachers to do something outside of their uh, schedule or we can uh, force the kids either. So 
Yeah, it means probably they would like to let the data happen based on their reality. So, I would like to go back from this. From these points of view, um, do you have any additional comments about this? In order that to avoid the disconnected information, probably do you have any other experience about the problem? Is there any suggestion? Outside of this coming. This sounds really bad, but you always have some kids who know what a survey is for, and they're going to try to skew your results no matter what. Um, when we took our uh, uh, atmosphere of school uh, survey to the AEA, uh, we had two kids who reported that they take drugs every day at school, and they do this, and it was the worst case scenario for all the way down the line. So, yeah, you, you kind of got to gotta pick and choose who you take the survey. Or you just look, you look at the outliers. Yeah, yeah, you take those and you throw those out because you know that, that those are definitely not, not reflective. <laughs> what do you think about that, Dr. Zeiss? Oh, I think you, you, have to, you have to consider that. Um, I think when it comes to collecting data, you, you, need, to be, you need to have direction as to where, what you want to find out and how you're going to do it. And if you do find that there's a disconnect between student perceptions and teacher perceptions, you need to find out why. Because it could be the teachers are lying. Could be, well, I mean, that could be it too, you know. I mean, if they're saying, well, do you use technology? Oh, yeah, no problem. I use the telephone. That's technology. Right, right. No. Well, then I have a telephone. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it could very well be that you, um, when you identify technology, I use technology. Well, we, we do need to be more specific. How often do you use the computer lab, et cetera, et cetera. So I think sometimes when we find there's a disconnect like that, like it's said in the, in the article, that you want to find out more specifics about it so you can make those comparisons. A friend of mine um, thought his student at the time, and he was very busy with uh, his business outside of the campus. Uh, when he came into the classroom, he received um, several times the cell phone. He uh, turned off the cell phone and received the cell phone from his uh, friends outside or from his customer or something like that. And actually, um, he thought the students very well actually, but some students disagree about uh, his attitude in front of the class. And the students say that um, we we receive nothing from the teacher. So, uh, if we ask about the teacher, do you teach the students? Yes, I, I do. But when we ask the students, do you receive something, do you get something from the teacher? Do you get knowledge from the teacher? No, I don't, because uh, the student is very busy with his business. So, it is one kind of the problems different perception between the students and the teacher. And then they also, they also don't know sometimes that you're teaching them either. I think that sometimes the most effective teaching is when you, you trick them into te to learning. Um, I had to teach a, a concept on 
comets and meteorites and the difference between the two. So I had a whole hour discussion on how we want to change. We were at Charles City Comets, and our logo is this little burning ball of flame. And so we want to change him to, to a blue ball of flame. It's not a flame. It's not a comet. and It's a meteor. And so um, we talked for the whole entire time, and when they got done, they understood the concept of meteorites, comets, and everything. But then they didn't know that they were learning either. <laughs> and so, I mean, it also depends on your teaching technique. Okay. Get comments. Um, the third one is from analysis to action. Those who attended the meeting at the time found six burdens and or trends from the data. And they selected one of the six to make a action plan. So the problems happened. They found uh, about many kinds of problems and they select the one and they they make a specific one to to make an action plan. And then they analyze about the specific goals. They design and they analyze and they try to uh, overcome about the problems that they found. And then they plan analysis to know the successfulness. So the plan analysis that they made, they used for, uh, in order that know about the, whether the student successful or not. And um, the last uh, things that they did is they answer about the question, is there any different opinion or attitude to analyze data? Okay, um, this is, the question is, do you have any additional comments to analyze the data? Or what you learn from the article, yeah, it's very good to use um, for analyzing data. Do you have any comments? No. I have a, a beautiful or wonderful links. Probably I can show in this case. But I don't know whether Dr. Zeitz have shown us this link or not. Uh, the first one is about using classroom data to improve student achievement. Uh, we can see about the section in this part. Yeah, the first one is organizing classroom assessment data, analyzing classroom assessment data, applying a user-friendly model of data analysis using data, quantitative data using data, holistic data using data, students' work, making change at our schools. And uh, it's wonderful because uh, we can uh, 
we can take the example of the video sorry there is a video that I would like to show right now yes okay I mean I I just want to click from this link so the first one is I think for us in education, the main thing is clear. It is student achievement. What do students know and are they able to do? Period, case closed, end of discussion. And so over the two days, what we're going to consistently come back to is what are the implications of these data for instructional decision making and improving student achievement? And when teachers and administrators leave at the end of the two days, they're going to go back and be those people who constantly will raise during meetings. And what does this have to do with student achievement? And how is this going to help you do a better job teaching or being a principal? And we're going to have this group of people who are out there constantly making the main thing the main thing, which is student achievement. The second point is uh, organizing classroom assessment data. Do we have a time for this? Can I show? Okay. The next one is applying a user-friendly model of data analysis. So when we work with data, we conceptually think of three kinds of data. We think of outcome data. Outcome data simply tells us what the kids know and are they able to do. What we've looked at so far is outcome data. Evidence, what kids know. Um, the critical attribute of outcome data is it's the only thing that distinguishes teaching from learning. Outcome data is what tells us if the what the adult did had any effect on the kids. Because it's their performance that happens to teaching them 
three supporting facts and details, followed by a concluding statement. And the group was in after four, six weeks of discussion, can they do that? If they can't do that, then when it tells us was up to that point, the instruction she was using what isn't working. If they can, it tells us it is work. That's what the outcome data for Kelly tells us, and to some degree, Bobby's outcome data, and the group data for all the second grade people. Outcome data is the main thing, according to the new part of the field. The main thing is to make sure that the main thing stays the main thing, and the main thing is what the kids know and are they able to do. So this is our target. So that's one kind of data, which we distinguish from demographic data. Demographic data has to do with what do the kids bring to the party? What are the variables that affect the manner and rate in which they learn? Bonnie School has a huge number of kids from poverty. There's a wealth of information about what kids from poverty go through that is different from kids who come from middle class and upper class families. For example, kids who come from poverty hear between one half and one third of the words orally than kids who compare to kids from middle class and upper class families. Even if they're English only, it's not an English, it's not a DL issue. Kids from poverty don't hear as much language. So one of the things we want to be thinking about is what are the variables that affect the manner and rate in which kids learn? And how do we use this information for instruction? Excuse me. That's my big issue. I just discussed it all morning, seven thirty to eight o'clock, about the exact same thing. It's just that we're collecting all this data, and, and how do I know it really reflects the student's ability? And then that's the question that I don't know <laughs> if anybody if anybody sees any other. I mean, I, I like I'm gonna go look at the rest of these, but how we can we can really make assessments to reflect their actual ability, not the lug luggage they bring in my classroom. That's the big question. But is the luggage part of that that ability? That's the that's that's the underlying that's the big million dollar question. I mean, because I have students who that I think are really bright and they know the content, but because you know their dad left in the middle of the night, they're not going to produce that for me that day. Uh, you know, am I going to be able to get that on another day? I don't know. But it just seems like the the data skewed one way sometimes, and I think it's nothing to do with either teaching technique or the questions or the content. It's just society, what's going on in their life. So. Do you have any feedback? Okay. Um, as the conclusion. How does, how does this relate to the, the article you were talking about? Um, if we listen to the uh, perspective uh, data or if we we are going to uh, descriptive data I mean so how we can use um, uh, data in the classroom for example to improve uh, the students ability or the student's achievement and not only for the student, student but also for the teacher so in my mind data is very important 
for us to uh, to use and we have to be careful in collect collecting data because uh, different uh, way in collecting data of course the result of the valid data it's impossible to get so once we get uh, we collect the data we have to understand about the ways how we collect data and we have to analyze about the data and then if there is a different uh, response like what we talked about just now I think uh, we have to analyze and analyze again why this why it is different why could be uh, different from the same uh, question for example so as the conclusion I think uh, data is a gun for us to uh, improve the student achievement or teaching learning process. I, I mentioned about the gun. Gun means as the tool. Okay. Yeah, but I, I mentioned about the, the gun. I think like a gun, like a knife, knife of analysis. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Let's take a ten minute break. Thank you. Good job.